Ooh. <laughs> I'm wearing glasses right now, so I'm, I'm covering my tears, right? Like we got little Savannah, she's, uh, uh, you know, four years old. And when we showed that this week in, in the staff meeting, said, okay, this will be our graduation Sunday bumper. It was like everyone was crying and, you know, it was, it was a powerful reminder that it goes very fast. Amen. Yeah. And uh, it's, don't miss it. It's all the phases of life. And I know I have to be told and reminded that as much because you can get so wrapped up in what you're doing right now that you can miss the most precious moments of life. So, so really, yeah, I know there's, uh, <laughs> anyone need a tissue right now? Because <laughs> I, could, I could use one. All right. Uh, hey, welcome to Life Church. Uh, this is Graduation Sunday. Give it up for our graduates in the room. Yes, we are, uh, we, we are seeing God do incredible things in our students, and, uh, and, and we're just excited for this next season of life for them. So we're going to be diving into 2 Samuel chapter 5. And, uh, and it really applies, I think, in a, in a really cool way to our graduates. And so as we give this word, especially the graduates, uh, be, be really, uh, allow the Lord to really speak to you today and, and solidify in your heart that you desperately need him as you walk into this next season of life. And we're going to see how David recognized this truth as we dive into 2 Samuel. But before we do that, um, I, wanna, I want to... Uh, point out a couple of different things we have out at the merchandise area. Uh, you know, you, you have um, uh, an opportunity to, mis- to reach the lost with the gospel and tell people about who this amazing God is that we serve. And so we've got shirts with the Life Church logo on it, and it's a good conversation starter. Uh, there is a, there's a Bible that we're doing. It this doesn't have Life Church on it or not. This is just a cool Bible I wanted to, I wanted to promo. It's, uh, it's uh, David Barton's The Founder's Bible. And this is, it's pretty awesome. I don't know how many of you have this uh, Bible. So Stu back there, Omar, it has American history uh, all through the pages of this, like where the scriptures have, there's like historical records where presidents and members of leadership within our you know, Congress, and they've, they've called on God to, to rescue them, to guide them. It's an amazing, just a historical document, but it all, like there'll be a passage of scripture that will then say, hey, this is what this president did with this passage of scripture when they were going through the darkest moments of their presidency. It's just super cool stuff. So you can get one of these. We, we, again, I'm sorry, the first service, they bought them all. So, uh, our <laughs> early bird gets the worm, right? I, you know, but we're going to order more so you can get one next time you're, uh, like when they come in, we'll let you know, but it's my favorite Bible, uh, by far. And then, um, we have, uh, Nathan and I were like, how can we how can when we go golfing, can we turn this into a missions opportunity, right? <laughs> so we got Life Church golf balls. Okay, this is, a, this is the Chrome Soft, and they are really soft. I always, I always like to you know, bite them to see how soft they are. And I, like, I like good balls that are, that are soft that can spin a lot. And, um, and so here, here we go. It's, um, on it, it says, are you as lost as this ball? <laughs> LifeChurchIN.com. <laughs> so now when you go golfing, you hit a bad shot, the Lord will redeem it for kingdom purposes. <laughs> Amen. Who, who likes to play golf? Who plays golf? All right, Tony, I saw your hand first. There you go, my friend. There you go. Thank you. Yep, yep. If you want, I got one more golf ball. So if you want this last one, you got to come to third service, okay? So... Uh, 
but we'll have we'll have those out there as well. And so uh, as you're you know getting ready to hit the golf course this year this summer, gr- uh, grab a sleeve of those balls. But all right, let me uh, pray for us, and we're going to dive into Second Samuel chapter five. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would just speak to us. God, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive what your word has for us today, God. Teach us to honor you, and God, teach us to always remember that we desperately need you in all things. It's in Jesus', Jesus mighty name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so graduates, I want you to remember that the secret to life success is, the, is whether or not God is with you. If God is with you, you're going to be successful. And we see this right now with David and all of Israel beginning to recognize that God truly is resting upon David. That is the key to the life of David. Now, that doesn't mean David was perfect. He was certainly not perfect. And you're going to find, you're going to see very, very shortly that David made a lot of really stupid mistakes. But God was with him and he knew that without God, he, his life was, was meaningless. And so... In this passage of scripture, we're going to pick up here in chapter one of verse, of, uh, verse one of chapter five. But remember, all of Israel now is beginning to recognize that, okay, David's the guy we got to get behind. Ishbosheth has just been killed. Remember last chapter, we saw that Ishbosheth was killed by uh, the two men from the tribe of Benjamin. And David dealt very severely with them because they killed Ishbosheth. And he was the king of Israel, the north. David is the king of the south in Judah. And David's heart is for unification of all Israel. But there was this civil war going on between Saul's house and David's house. And the Lord was against the house of Saul and he was for the house of David. And now Israel is starting to recognize, okay, we better get behind David because if God is for David, we do not want to be against David. And, and it's really David's heart. How many times did David have the opportunity to kill Saul when he was on the run? Many times, at least twice. And he probably could have killed him multiple other times too. But he said, I will not come against God's anointed. Church, as we go through this passage, put yourself not only in David's shoes, knowing that you desperately need the Lord, but also put yourself in the shoes of David's enemies who are now realizing if I shoot arrows at David and the Lord is with David, guess where those arrows are going to come back and hit? They're going to come back and hit me. We do this a lot in our culture. We, we, will, we will attack those that the Lord is actually using And then we're surprised when our attacks don't take out the person that we're going after, but yet they come and they become a curse back on us. That's that's the concept of coming against the Lord's anointed, and David knew that. I said earlier in the first service, you know, listen, we're we're very much engaged in politics here at Life Church. If you go back to 2016, when, well, I would say 2015, when Donald Trump threw his name in the hat for, for office, for presidency, I was one of those naysayers. I was like, no way, never in a million years. And this guy doesn't have the moral capacity to lead us. And I was kind of in that camp. I was like, I, his virtues, his values, I, I just don't see it. And the Lord hit me and he said, Micah, if I'm for him, you better not attack him. And, and you, and here's, here's what, now I'm not saying Donald Trump, I would never, I would not go to a church where he was the pastor. Okay, I'm just gonna put it that way, all right? <laughs> so just so you know, like, He's got a lot of flaws. Yeah, you're going to see that David has a lot of flaws too. But I learned really quickly that the, that the Lord was with him because all the things that were, that were being shot at him from the media or from whatever political side, the right and the left, they were, they were not taking him out. And actually, they were coming back on the people who shot those arrows. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is supernatural. 
This is, you can't explain it any, any other way. If you remember that, that, that campaign, there were 15 other candidates that were far more equipped, quote unquote, from the world's perspective to be the president of the United States. And he said many things that would have killed, if, if any one of those other candidates would have said one of those things, they would have been done, right? And he just kept saying all the things. And we're like, oh, he's done. Oh, he's not done. Okay. Oh, he's done. Oh, they got him now. Oh my gosh, they don't have him now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and still to this day, it's like, they got him now. Oh, they don't have him now. You know, it's like, you're just like, it has to be God. I'm just telling you right now, and if God is for him, now again, that doesn't mean we don't hold him accountable, but it is saying like, if God is for him, look at, look at Charlie Rose of, uh, I think it was NPR, PBS. Uh, you had the Matt Lowers of uh, Dateline. Remember they were shooting these arrows saying, he is a womanizer. He treats women so poorly. Well, guess what happened? Those two guys and specifically, they don't have jobs anymore. Do you know why? Came out that they were womanizers. And you're like, whoa, like, you know, shooting those arrows. And the Lord said, hey, not my anointed, flipped him around and sent, sent him back. David recognized how dangerous it was to come against God's anointed. Again, David didn't obey Saul. There's a difference between obeying somebody and attacking God's anointed. He didn't obey Saul, but he did not come against God's anointed. He let the Lord deal with Saul. Okay, so does that make sense? Are we kind of tracking here? So all of Israel is realizing this, that, that David's got the hand of the Lord on him. So be careful coming against David, we should probably get in line with David. And we see then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out, let us out and brought us in. And the Lord said to you, you shall be the shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So they're saying, we're with you, David. And David has a heart for, for peace. We've seen that. So he's He's saying, great, let's make a covenant with them. And, and, uh, and they mention that he's going to be the shepherd. Now, in ancient times, being a shepherd as a king was considered a great high honor. I'm a big kind of historian. I love studying ancient history. And, and, uh, and so one of the earliest kings in all of world history to, to uh, kind of revel in the fact that he was a shepherd of his people was a king named Hammurabi. And he was the Babylonian king of the first Babylonian empire. And if you go to the Louvre today in Paris, you can actually see the code of Habarabi. It's, this, it's this, in the Stella. It kind of has this, uh, it's, the, it's kind of the first sort of uh, legal code like that, that we kind of recognize as like a really legit legal code. It was the first uh, legal code that gave the presumption of innocence to the accused. You couldn't just you, you weren't presumed guilty and had to prove your innocence. You were innocent until proven guilty. And uh, this is what it looks like in the Louvre. You see Hammurabi right here standing up on the left. And you, uh, you have the, the god of uh, Shamash who's handing him this, this legal code. And, and it was, you know, the Babylonian god was said to have given Hammurabi this code. And, but it was, this was, I mean, this was thousands and thousands of years uh, prior to David. And, and, uh, but yet there was this idea of a shepherd being the king when it was a good thing. And, and Hammurabi's people loved him for it. They said, he treats us like a shepherd treats the sheep. Now, who is the greatest of all shepherds? Jesus. We see in John chapter 10, the good shepherd is what Jesus is referred to as. In Hebrews 13, he's referred to as the great shepherd. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see that he's called the chief shepherd. Being called a shepherd in leadership is a very high honor. And if you are in leadership, whether you lead your family, whether you lead your business, whether you lead your church, whether you lead your nation, 
if you have a shepherd's heart, you will be a great leader. Shepherds care truly for their, their sheep and they lay their life down to protect their sheep. So that's, that's the kind of the backstory. When they come to David and say, you are the shepherd, that's a high praise to David, especially David, because David was a shepherd. He knew what they were saying when they told him that. Verse three, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David as king over Israel. Now David was 30 years old when he reigned over, uh, when his reign, when he began to reign and he, he reigned for 40 years. So at Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. Okay, so Israel is finally reunited under the monarchy. David's heart, you know, after all the chaos of the house of Saul. Remember, David was anointed king when he was 15 years old. 15 years old by Samuel. And the Lord said, Saul, I have removed the kingdom from you and I've given, to, given it to someone who's better than you. <laughs> And it was a 15-year-old shepherd boy. And David had to wait another 15 years to be installed as king of just Judah, just the southern part. And then another seven years to be the king of over all of Israel. How often do we, do we receive promises from the Lord and think, God, you gotta have it right, like I gotta have it right now. And if it doesn't come within a few months, a few years even, we begin to say, oh, maybe God, maybe I didn't hear him right. Maybe it wasn't God. You begin to question, you begin to doubt. And I'm going to tell you, David had those same doubts too. I promise you, while he was running from Saul, hiding in the, the caves of En he would have been thinking, what is going on? He had the chance to kill Saul, to take the kingdom by force. He didn't do it though. He trusted in God and God honored him and has finally brought the monarchy and unif reunification of Israel. It's interesting to note that 30 is, is a significant number in, when it comes to leadership. In the Torah, all the priests could not be, begin to serve until they were 30 years old. So David was 30. Joseph, when he began to reign over Egypt, he was 30. And David himself, or I'm sorry, Jesus himself was 30 when he stepped into ministry. 30 is, is God, in God's worldview, 30 is just that, that, I think that pinnacle of leadership. Now, I don't know about you, man, but when I was... 27, 25, especially 21, I just still did not feel like a, an adult. Maybe, and I, I guess I don't really feel like an adult that much today either. So <laughs> maybe, that's a, maybe that's a bad example. Uh, but it was, but really when I started hitting my 30s, it was like, okay, like God's, God's leading me. I get, I'm getting this. Okay, I, I, I feel, I, I'm not perfect by any means, but, but I'm starting to see God's call in my life a little bit more clearly. So so 30 is just, again, don't gloss over that number. That actually has some significance there. And, and there's 30 in God's worldview is you're ready to lead. Verse six, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. Okay, so now we see that he's king over Israel. He's like, first thing we're doing is we're taking Jerusalem. Now, why Jerusalem? And I'm gonna tell you plainly, like if you've been to Jerusalem, it's, it's an amazing city, but there's sometimes you're looking at it, it's like, why is this one little plot of land in all the world so important? Have you ever thought about that? It's not very big. It's an, Israel's the size of about New Jersey. I mean, it's not a, it's not a really big piece of, piece of land, and Jerusalem is just a city within Israel. Why? In Scripture, Jerusalem is mentioned 811 times. It's more than any other city by far. Babylon is second, so you have good and evil. Babylon is considered, you know, the 
the evil of, uh, of the world. And you see in Revelation, the harlot is the harlot of Babylon, right? Um, so we, we see that Jerusalem, though, really has a special place in, in the Lord's heart. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be quite honest with you, why Jerusalem? It's because God chose it to be. Just there's a, plain and simple. He said, this is the plot of land that I, I am going to make very special to all the earth. In Psalm 132, in verse 13, the Lord says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. That's it. The Lord just chose it to be so. So it is. And it's a special place because the Lord chose it. When the Lord chooses something, it becomes very special. When the Lord chooses you, you become very special. Right? Why, why do humans have value? Because God said so. That's plain and simple. Why does Jesus love every single person on the face of the earth? Because he said so. They're valuable. And when, they, when humans have value, when something has values in the eyes of the king, the whole kingdom sees it as very valuable. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Jerusalem is that plot of land that's valuable because God said so. Jerusalem surrounded by mountains. And I, I'm going to take you a little bit into sort of the geographical, historical context here, uh, just because I'm, I'm sort of a nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff. But um, so it's surrounded by mountains. I was there in December. It's a beautiful place, but it's, it's got valleys on all the sides of it, except for the north. The north has fortified walls, but then it would be very hard to take that city by force. So it's a very safe city. It's a very strategic city. Um, Jerusalem used to be called the city of Jebutes, okay, because of the Jebusites. So it goes all the way back to the land of Canaan. When Joshua went into the land of Canaan, the Israelites had Jerusalem for a short time, but then they lost it. That was the only time Israel had ever had Jerusalem was when Joshua was in power, and then they didn't have it. And, and for that, from that time on, it was in the possession of the Canaanites and the Jebusites. It was, the, the land, it was called the city of Jebus until David went and took it back. Before Canaan, before Joshua, it was called the city of Salem. And Salem, so Jerusalem, right? Salem is where a man named Abraham met the king of Salem, and his name was Melchizedek. Beautiful story. This goes all the way back to Genesis. The Lord used Melchizedek to bless Abraham. And we even see in Hebrews where it talks about the priestly line, the line of Melchizedek, the, the, the ones who honored God because, because Melchizedek saw God and said, Abraham, you, you really truly are following the one true God. I want to bless you. And the Lord has blessed Melchizedek because of that. And then Abraham wandered the wilderness and the Lord led him back to a place called Mount Moriah, which guess what? Mount Moriah is where the Lord called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And we know that story. He takes him all the way up into the top of the mountain of Mount Moriah, and he's about ready to sacrifice his one and only promise, his beloved son, the promise. He said, Lord, how? Now we know what going to Hebrews that Abraham knew that if God called him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. That's what gave Abraham the strength. He said, okay, God, maybe I have to kill him, but God can raise him from the dead. And I believe that that's not out of the realm of possibility. But he gets ready to throw the knife down on Isaac and the Lord stops him and provides a goat caught in the thickets, a sacrificial goat. Well, guess where that, guess where Mount Moriah is today? It's in Jerusalem and it's the Temple Mount. Literally, the Lord had led Abraham back to where if you go to Israel today, the temple 
is there, this, where Solomon had his, built the temple, where all of this, all of what you're seeing David going after right now is so significant in the grand scheme of prophecy. And Jesus was led into Jerusalem to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb. Boy, I'm telling you what, the Lord is such an amazing, uh, poetic thinker and author, isn't he? How they all just, it's, he's been pointing to this for generations to come. He's saying Jerusalem is an important place. And then they said uh, in, the, in the second part of verse 6, the Jebusites said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. <laughs> I like how they said that, like you will not come in here, the blind and the lame can ward you off. He's not going to come in here. What, what does this mean? What, what, are the, what are the Jebusites doing at this very moment? Like the blind and the lame, I don't get that. You think you would fortify it and then you'd have your soldiers. No, they, were, they believed so heavily in their fortifications of the wall and the city's strategic uh, position that they were like, David, even if you have the best military in the world, our blind and our lame will be up at the top of the wall because, and our soldiers will actually be back inside the city eating and having a good old time because we don't even need to have our soldiers out there. That's how good our fortifications are. Boy, in America... How often do we rely in our fortifications more than we rely in God? The fortifications of our money, the fortifications of our military, the fortifications of even the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean keeps us fortified from the rest of the world and from a lot of our enemies. But we saw, we saw very quickly, those of you who were alive during 9-11, that our fortifications were not as fortified as we thought. And in seven years to the day, we saw that our dollar and our security and our money began to collapse. Seven years to the day. God is telling us, do not put your faith and your trust in the fortifications of what you have built. Put it in me. And David knew this. And so verse seven is a great verse. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. I love that verse. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. It was tough, but David persevered. Hey, seniors, in this room right now, you're going to go out into a world that's going to tell you you can't do it. You're going to go out into a world that's going to try to just beat you into submission. God's going to put a vision or a dream in your heart, and the world's going to say, get out of here. You don't, you, the fortifications are too strong. You don't know what you don't know. You're never going to take this. You're never going to do what, what God has called you to do. And I want you to remember this verse, verse 7, nevertheless. David persevered. Nevertheless, David said, my God is bigger than those walls and we're going to find a way. And so David in verse eight, he said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up and take, and take the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind. And he, and he said this, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said that the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built in the city and all around it from the Milo inward. So what, what just happened here? So we're going to take you kind of through this bit by bit. So he says to his men, he says, is there anyone in here that can get up through the water shaft? David knew of this water shaft. The water shaft um, is, is a, uh, it was, it was every fortified city has to have the precious commodity of water. If you don't have water, you can't sustain life. So they had to get water in somehow. But they didn't want to do it by opening the gates and going out to get water because then the enemy could get in. So they had this water shaft and David, David 
uh, said, who, who of my men is strong enough to get in there? And Joab answered the call. Now remember, a few chapters before, we saw that Joab was very much not on David's good side because he killed Abner, the, the general of Ishbosheth. And David was trying to unify with Ishbosheth and unify with Abner. And Joab got scared or got threatened. His insecurity came out and he killed, he killed Abner. And so we see that Joab is now not really on David's good side, but Joab answers the call. He comes up to David and says, I'm going to do it. He climbs up the water shaft. Now I'm going to put it up here for you just so you can kind of see. Here's the city walls and they built the tent. The Jebusites built this tunnel. People would walk down this tunnel and there is a shaft about 40 feet deep right here, a vertical shaft that the waters from a spring called the Gion Springs would, would fill this whole shaft right here. And so you see the Gion Springs come, fills it up here. People would lower a bucket on a rope and they would get water and they would walk it back up into the city without ever being exposed to be attacked. So David said, they got to get water. So let's find their water source and let's get it. Let's go in that way. And Joab comes in here, goes all the way to the shaft, climbs up, goes up the tunnel, opens the gates and lets the men of Israel in and they take the city that way. So this is a modern day picture of someone actually climbing. You can actually go there uh, when you're in Israel. It's pretty cool. Uh, Hezekiah actually lengthened the tunnel uh, during the, the reign of Hezekiah. This is someone climbing the, the shaft just like Joab. I don't think this is Joab because there's a yellow hat, uh, hard hat and, uh, and <laughs> Levi jeans and uh, climbing gear. So uh, Joab probably didn't have that. He probably had a loincloth and that's it. Okay, so uh, good luck climbing a 40 foot shaft. And then this is what it looks like from looking down the shaft. So imagine you got to like shimmy up this thing and, and Joab does it. And this is David's mighty, mighty men. They, they take the city by force. So that's kind of, that puts it in perspective. You can go there if you go to Israel. And I think Pastor Kathy is probably, uh, they're getting ready to take a group. I think, I know they're laying the groundwork. I hope I'm not get, letting that out of the bag too early. Uh, but we want to take people to Israel. And so if we can go to Israel, this will be one of the places that uh, we'd love to see. So now I want you to know this, this verse right here, circle this verse, highlight this verse, especially seniors. This verse right here is the pinnacle of all of David's life, in my opinion. David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Wow, what a powerful, what a powerful statement. Not just, not just the Lord, the Lord, the God of hosts, the, the commander of heaven's armies, was with David. Who can be against you when God is for you? David knew this and he became greater and greater. The secret to David's whole entire life, the secret to his whole success, that every success he had was this one verse. The Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Church, let that be our prayer every day we wake up. God, be with me. Be with my family. If I can just get you to be with me, if I can find enough favor in your eyes and get enough grace from you today to just be with me, everything you touch will be successful. I promise. It can't, it can't, it can't go any other way. God is a God of victory. God doesn't do anything and fail. He does not fail. If he is with you, you will be successful. So, so seniors, as you go out into this next season of life, pray this prayer every single day. Say, Lord, just as you were with David, would you please be with me in Jesus' name? Mom and dad, pray that for them. Pray that for you. <laughs> I pray that for me. I, I, I do every day when I'm driving Brody to school, Brody and I will pray and we'll say, Lord, be with us today. 
Be with our family. Be with mommy. Be with Savannah. If you're, if you're with us, then we're good. And not only did other people in David's own country see this, other nations began seeing this. That's how cool it is when God is with you. you, you you're going to be known by not just the people around in your circle, in your community, you're going to be known by those outside your community. And they're going to be saying, hey, you're doing something that's really interesting and very cool. And how are you being so successful with it? We want to get to know you. When you have the spirit of the Lord on you, you grow in favor with God and man. That's just how it's going to go. And the king of, of Tyre, Hir, uh, Hiram, Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and he, said he's, he sent cedar trees and also carpenters and masons who built David a house. Now, coming out of a civil war, if you've ever, you know, we obviously going through 2020 and the, the uh, COVID stuff, we see what even that does to the workforce. It really hurts the workforce. They, Israel was probably not in a very strong place economically. And yet the Lord moves on the heart of the king of Tyre and says, you know what? God is with him. I'm going to send my own masons, my own carpenters, and we'll build stuff for him. That's God. That's God at work. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David, David knew he had to have God with him, but he also knew that David didn't, was not raised to, to being a king for David's sake. God raised David up in leadership for the sake of those around him. David was merely an instrument of care for God's people, and he knew it. Are you in a place of leadership right now? Do you think God is raising you up in leadership for your sake? If you do, I would argue that you're not really a shepherd. I would argue that you don't really have true humility. Knowing how much you need God is the mark of someone who has true humility. Knowing that, God, you're not raising me up for my own sake. You're raising me up because... I am going to be used by you as an instrument to do whatever you're calling me to do. Do you know that? Now, I've always, Pastor Nathan and I, we, were on, we had a podcast uh, uh, recording this past week, and it'll be out in a few weeks, but we talk about uh, Moses. It comes up, and I don't even know how it came up. You'll have to go back and listen to it. I, I, I don't even remember what we were talking about, to be honest with you, but uh, it'll be out on the podcast soon. I'm sure it's good, okay? So uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's good. Jesus, Sex, and Politics. If you're watching online, Jesus, Sex, and Politics, download it now. All right. Great. Uh, <laughs> so we talk about Moses and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Okay. So Numbers is one of those books. And, and we see that in Numbers, it says this about Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. <laughs> he wrote that about himself. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I've always been, I've always been like, wait, okay, no, no, no. And I even said on the podcast, I said, but, but don't you think a scribe would have written that down? Because yes, he got credit for it, but sometimes scribes would write and they would insert some of their own thoughts here and there. And, Mo, and Nathan was like, no, no, I believe it was Moses. But it goes back to this thought right here. Knowing how much you need God is the mark of true humility. If Moses knew he needed God more than anybody on the face of the earth, he could write this right here and say, I am the most humble person on the face of the earth because I need God more than anyone else on the face of the earth. That is the mark of true humility. When you look at it from that perspective, you're like, oh yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. And look at how much Moses knew he needed God. Every day, Moses had a problem, a big problem, not just a small problem, a big problem. It's like, Lord, 
you know, what, you, you, the Red Sea? Okay, we just, you know, first it was like, Lord, don't send me. I have a stuttering problem. Then it was like, Lord, we're going up against Pharaoh, the largest military in all the world. And then it was, here's the Red Sea. And then it was, we don't have food. And then it was, we don't have water. And then it was, they're worshiping idols. And then it was, I mean, it's like, literally Moses had the worst life ever. <laughs> I mean, really? So he has to know how much he needed God. And so he could write this. The wisest man to ever have lived is a man named Solomon, David's son. And he prays this at the beginning of his reign when he's coming up to be the next king of Israel. He says, Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly for who could possibly govern this great people of yours. He's saying, I can't do this, God, without you. But with you, I can. But without you, I can't. That is the mark of the wisest man to ever live. That is the mark of those who are truly humble. So seniors, will that be you? Will you walk into every situation saying, I need God desperately today? I mean, it's easy to walk into your, you know, algebra two, you know, class and say, I need you God desperately. <laughs> Trust me, I was there. I did that often. It's like, and God would say, mm, you didn't study, so you're going to get what you deserve. And I was like, no, I throw myself at your mercy, okay, king. Please just supernaturally take my pencil and write in the answers. <laughs> it didn't work too well. But, uh, but those who know that they need God and they can do it with God, but they couldn't do it without God, become very, very wise, just like Solomon. Now, as we wrap up here today, we walk into this next part of this last chapter here, and it's the author is letting you know, but David had a great weakness. David was not perfect. Do you ever think, God, how can you use me? You can't, look, look, what, look what I've done. Look at the things that I've, look at the mistakes. Look at the, the, the ripple effects of just destruction that have happened because of my selfish or foolish choices. If you've ever thought that, remember how God used David. A man after God's own heart used him powerfully to free a nation, to lead a nation, but yet he still had great weaknesses. He still made a lot of mistakes and there were consequences for those mistakes. But yet God intervened often in David's life. But these next passages of, of scripture, this uh, verse 13, it says, after moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, so again, that's, the author is letting you know, great success. He, he has Jerusalem now. The whole, the whole palace, the, king, the, the kingdom has been, the headquarters have been moved to Jerusalem. David married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. Now, historically speaking, the narrators and authors of Scripture never will put the wives after the concubines when they're writing, because in the, the nature of significance, wives are far more significant than concubines were in those days. But the author here puts concubines before wives. Now, that could have been just a coincidence. That could have been, you know, nothing to see here. Maybe the author didn't know what, what he meant when he was writing this. But I believe God put it that way for a specific purpose. And it was the purpose was to say David's weakness was the fact that he had a lust problem when it came to the opposite sex. And it goes in and says, these are the names of David's sons who were born in Jerusalem. And you can see the children of David all the way to verse 16. We see that David in the next few chapters is going to make massive mistakes with women. 
that are going to have massive consequences for his children and his children's children in the nation of Israel. But nevertheless, God would intervene and rescue David and rescue the nation of Israel again. David really should have been like Saul. If you think about his whole life, if you study the life of David, it parallels Saul in a lot of ways. And God, God intervened on David's behalf, but I truly believe it was because David had the mark of humility that he desperately knew he needed God every single day of his life. And he always ran back to God. So seniors, you can be called by God. You can be anointed by God and the spirit of God can even rest upon you. And you can still make really dumb choices that mess things up in your life. Don't get complacent as a child of God is my point. Complacency will always, always come back to bite you. Dive into that relationship with the Lord. Struggle to know him more. Work to find out what he's calling you to do. And if you're, if you're like, okay, that's great, Pastor Micah, but practically speaking, where, like, where do I go? Like, what, how do I do that? I'm going to give you one point, circle this, underline it in your notes. Community is key. Community is key. You know when David got into his sin with Bathsheba, and we'll, we'll study this in a, in a few weeks. The Bible in Kings, it says, when in the springtime, when all the men went out to war. So remember, the men of war were David's community. When all the men went out to war, David stayed home. And guess what happened when he stayed home? He went out on his balcony. He saw a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. And that's when it started to spiral out of control. David, if he just would have been in community where he was supposed to be, would have never happened. Would have never seen Bathsheba. He would have never gotten to know her. He would have never killed her husband. He would, it would have, I mean, can you imagine if you could just go back to David and say, David, get your butt out to war, man. Go with your community. You're the king. You're supposed to lead them into war. You're getting complacent as the king. Get in the community. So seniors, find your community. If you're going into the military, find the good godly community in the military. If you're going into college, find the godly community. If you're going into the workforce, find a godly community. If you get your butt in a godly community, you will be good. I promise. You'll make mistakes. You'll trip up. But the community will be there to pick you up when you fall, to encourage you, to spur you on. As iron sharpens iron, you will become a very sharp weapon in the hands of the Lord. You may be asking if you're going into college, okay, great. What do we do with that, Pastor Michael? Where do I go? You don't, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one little tidbit of advice, seniors. There's, a, there's an organization called Chi, Chi Alpha, and that's an Assemblies of God ministry. And they're in hundreds of universities around the nation. And if you're going to college, first thing you should do is to check if, you're, if your college has a Chi Alpha and join it. It's a bold, powerful movement of young people who are spurring each other on in, in the word of the Lord. And we want to show you a video right now. And then we've got a special uh, presentation for our seniors today here at Life Church. So check it out. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.